You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church Podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's Word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Have you ever been sent on a mission, um, but didn't have what you needed to successfully complete the mission? Um, I, uh, I've had this happen in a number of different uh, situations in my life, and particularly uh, early on in marriage, uh, there was a particular mission that I was sometimes given that I felt wholly inadequate to do. It was, will you swing by the grocery store on your way home and pick up X, right? Um, now, I've since come to know how a grocery store is laid out, where the produce is. You go around the back, and, you know, and then there's the bakery, and then you have all the frozen meat, and you keep going down, and you get into the deli meat and the cheese, and then the dairy and the yogurt and all that stuff's over there, and you come around the corner, and there's the eggs, and then down that side, there's all the frozen stuff, and then the houseware stuff, and then it's like the coffee, the cereal, the chips, like all the good stuff right there in that section, you know? Um, I've since come to understand that, so I want you to know that I do learn quickly, but there's nothing more uh, uh, just overwhelming than walking in sometimes to a store and not knowing that you need to get something, but not knowing where it's at. And uh, I remember uh, early on during uh, when COVID first started, uh, we decided Emily was pregnant with uh, <clears throat> with our third. And uh, when it started, um, you know, it was a long time ago because now we have four children. Um, but uh, I went to the grocery store and I was responsible for a month's worth of grocery shopping. And um, Emily sent me in the morning and I came home in the evening. I, I don't know if it was that long, but that's what it felt like. Um, but I'm thankful that grocery stores now, a lot of them have Wi-Fi because the amount of text messages that I have to send to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do uh, is, is pretty unbelievable, you know? So I look back, uh, we, we kind of do a year in review picture thing around Thanksgiving every year. And in 2020, when I got to my year in review, I was like, wow, hot dogs, chips, biscuits, sausage, you know, like just all these pictures of food that I sent saying, is this okay? Is this the one? Is this right? Is this the one? Um, sent on a mission, but I didn't have everything I needed to successfully complete the mission. Uh, Well, Jesus is not only going to send his disciples out on a mission, but he's going to give them everything they need to be faithful to that mission. And their mission, our mission, is much greater than grocery shopping. Um, It is indeed to carry on the very mission that Jesus um, began. In John 17, 1-5, we looked last week and saw how Jesus consecrated himself for his mission, which was the cross. In the, in the, the looming shadow of the cross, Jesus goes to the Heavenly Father and says, Glorify me that I may glorify you. And we saw in Jesus, um, <clears throat> in his prayer, in the intercession of Jesus' prayers, he prepares himself for the cross, the encouragement and the hope that we receive, that knowing uh, that that simple encouragement, it, Jesus says to Peter that he also says to us, I have prayed for you, uh, that Jesus is our intercessor. Well, today we come to verses 6 through 19, the continuation of the high priestly prayers, it's called here in John 17. And we see that Jesus is now going to consecrate his disciples for their mission. Uh, the, the flow of thought that we're going to look at here in the text is that we are left in the world, but we're not of the world, 
But that's not where the story ends because we are sent into the world. We're we're left in the world by design. We're not of the world by calling. And we're sent into the world with a mission. That's what Jesus is saying as he prays. In his prayer, we see what's true of us uh, as his followers and what we are called to do. Uh, You heard, perhaps are familiar if you've uh, been a follower of Christ or maybe familiar with uh, the conversation sometimes in the church that Christians are to be in but not of the world. Uh, it's a, uh, a saying that speaks to our calling to be holy, our, our calling to be set apart for God. And it's right and it's true and it's right here in John 17 that we're left in the world but we are not of the world. But that's not where it ends because uh, throughout this section, it's, it's amazing if you, uh, if you just look through John 17, 6 through 9, uh, and even continuing on through the end of the chapter, look at the number of times that world is mentioned. And it's mentioned repeatedly throughout this section uh, that Jesus has come into the world, that Jesus is leaving this world, that he's spoken these things in the world, that we are left in the world, that we are not of the world, that Jesus is not of the world, but that he has sent us into the world just as he was sent into the world. So we have this calling to not only be in but not of, but to also see that our being not of the world is to be followed by a being sent into the world to fulfill God's purpose and his plan. And ultimately, we are sent into the world to bear the same, to bear the message in which Jesus came into the world to accomplish which was his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins to all who would believe in him. And so the first thing we see uh, starting here in verse 6 is that we are left in the world. If you, if you kind of look throughout this passage, there's a number of things that kind of are intertwined together, uh, but I've broken it down in a way that I think is um, faithful to what uh, the text says and how Jesus prays here. But the idea of being left in the world, if you skip down to verse 11, we see this statement, I am no longer... In the world, Jesus says, but they are in the world. We are left in the world, he says, and now I'm coming to you. And it's, it's that statement that actually then prompts Jesus to say, Holy Father, keep them, protect them, which we'll look at here in a minute. So we see this uh, sense in which we are left in the world. Jesus is now leaving the world, but we are left in the world. But while we are left in the world, we are not left alone. That's what Jesus says in verses 6, really through 10, because as he begins praying, specifically turning towards the disciples, what's true of the disciples is true of us. So those who have put our trust in Christ is true of every believer today, is true of the church. And Jesus is praying for his disciples, but he, in praying for us, speaks and, and kind of uh, tells us who we are. He reminds us of what's true of us. And this is why we're not left alone, because number one, we have confidence that we belong to the Father. If you look at the statement starting in verse 6, Jesus says, I revealed your name to the people that you gave me. That statement, that the Father gave me, we see it in verse 6. We see it in verse 7, that you, um, everything you have given is from you. And then we also see it in verse 9. I pray for them, not praying for the world, but those you have given me. You say it again in verse 11 and verse 12. There's this emphasis that, that those who are in Christ have been given to Christ by the Father. We saw last week how this speaks to, to God's sovereignty and salvation. And yet in that sovereignty is our comfort, our comfort and our confidence. Not that we chose God, but that he chose us. It's not that God got a great deal on us, 
but it's that we got a deal we couldn't have ever imagined when we got him. And it says in verse 7, I love this statement. Now they know that everything... Um, <clears throat> Uh, now they know that everything you have given is from you because I've given it to them. Uh, or excuse me, it's verse six. At the end of verse six, it says um, that they are yours, that we belong to the Father. And, and we have been given by the Father to the Son. We have this confidence that while we're left in the world, we belong to the Father. It's the confidence of knowing that we, uh, we are held tight by the Father. We are secure in the Father. With my oldest daughter a few summers ago, uh, we went down the, the Argo Rapids uh, on the tubes. I don't know if you guys have, have been there before, but uh, it's a ton of fun. You get a tube and you go down the rapids. We, uh, we were with our SummerLink team, uh, some of our college students, and, um, <clears throat> and my daughter's pretty scared of uh, being in the especially this time, she was like five in the water. Uh, but I convinced her that if she sat on my lap and I held on to her, everything would be fine. And I'd been down the rapids. I knew they're not that difficult. You know, it's just kind of like a little cascading thing that goes down. And, um, and so I was pretty confident that I would be fine. And I knew that you could, for the most part, just stand upright in the rapids. Well, of course, um, after convincing her to do this, um, I managed to, to flip over and fall out of the tube, Right. Um, and you know, I had, I didn't have my phone on me, but I think I had like my keys and like a credit card and like a plastic Ziploc bag. Cause I had to like pay for the tubes and stuff. And, um, somebody found it, I think like over in the bushes, um, uh, after the fact, which was a blessing. Uh, but I fell off, uh, the, the tube and, and I mean, I just remember thinking like, no matter what, I'm not going to let go of Amelia. Um, I'm going to hold on to her. And, and so scraped my knees and, you know, uh, I basically walked on the rocks in my knees for a little bit as I was trying to catch my balance. And I think I had claws marks like in my back, you know, like um, just as surely as I wasn't going to let go of her, she had determined she wasn't going to let go of me. Um, and, and we made it out, right? Like we made it out and I don't think she's been back down the rapids since, but but even as an earthly father uh, seeks to hold on to and take care of his children, they fail. Uh, they, you know, that day was, was good. I didn't let go, but there's no guarantee that I wouldn't have let go in another circumstance. But with our Heavenly Father, we have complete confidence that He will never let go, that we, because we belong to Him, we are secure in Him. That's the, the confidence that we have, though left in the world, we're not alone. And then the question is, well, how do you know that you belong to the Father? How do you know that you've been given by the Father to the Son? Is this some mystery? Is there some thing that we have to do? Well, we know who belongs to the Father based on who believes in the Son. That's what Jesus says. I have revealed your name, which is a reference to the character of God, who God is, to the people that you gave me from the world. They were yours you gave them to me. They have kept your word. And particularly, he's talking about keeping your word, that believing that Jesus is the one who was sent from God. It says that now they know that everything you have is given from you because I have given them your words that you gave me. They have received them and they know for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. We are secured by faith in Jesus. We belong to the Father. We're secured by faith in Jesus. When Jesus says, I've revealed your name, he speaks to revealing God. It reminds us of John 1.18 and the beginning of the gospel. It says that no one has seen the, the one and only true God, uh, the one and only Son 
who is himself God and is at the Father's hand, he has revealed him. We know the Father because Jesus has made him known. And Jesus has made his words known to us. And then it says that they have received them and have believed them and they know for certain that they belong to the Father because they believe in Jesus. Now, if you are familiar with the Gospels or familiar with the story of the disciples, the disciples aren't exactly the most impressive lot. Uh, they, they often uh, fumbled over their own feet and uh, fumbled over their own words and inserted foot into mouth and dug hole deeper and didn't put down the shovel. Like they, they got themselves in a mess a lot of times. Um, and and when, you, when you go through, you see that they didn't even always understand what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus often had to correct them and, and often was, though patient, was, was, was very honest with them. Like, why are you so hard of heart and hard, difficult, slow to understand what I'm saying to you? But it says here that though they didn't understand everything perhaps that Jesus taught in full yet, it says that they believed that he was sent from the Father. They believed that he came, sent from God to accomplish their salvation. They, they were a little fuzzy on how it was going to happen. When Jesus told Peter and the disciples that he was going to die on the cross and he was going to be betrayed, die on the cross and, and rise from the dead, Peter was like, no, Jesus, that's not how it's going to go down. That's not how we're going to do it. And, and Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking along the ways of man rather than the ways of God. They didn't fully understand, but they, they had given their allegiance to him. They believed on him. And let this be an encouragement to us. As, as sometimes we think about our faith and our desire to grow strong in our faith. Your faith, is, is the most important thing about your faith is not its intensity. Though I pray that we grow intense in our faith. The most important thing about your faith is its object. Your faith is as secure as the object in which you place your trust. And when we believe in Jesus and we trust in him, we have the confidence and the security that our faith uh, is, is grounded and secure because of who we have believed in. We're secured by faith in Jesus. It doesn't say it here, but I couldn't help but make this connection for us. John 17 is the conclusion is Jesus praying after he preached. Um, and so uh, in John 14 through 16, Jesus is instructing the disciples about what's going to happen after he leaves. And as he does that, a centerpiece of what he says is that we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, we have the confidence that we belong to the Father. We're secured by faith in the Son and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 and 17, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay, well, that's easier said than done. How can we keep your commands, God? Well, I will ask the Father and he will give another counselor or a helper, uh, the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. And this world is unable to receive him because it didn't know him or doesn't know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit leads to an empowering of the Holy Spirit to keep God's commands, to walk in obedience to him. And we're secure in our faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so though Jesus is gone, he has left us in the world. But do you know what is good and gracious? Our Heavenly Father and uh, our Savior, the Son of God, has sent the Holy Spirit to be in us, to be with us, to empower us, to follow him. And I think this is the encouragement 
that we, we need to remember that as we're left in the world and, and, and Jesus is going to say that we'll be hated by the world, there'll be opposition in the world. It, it reminds us at, at the end of John 16, he concludes his words with this statement in John 16, 32 and 33. The hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me. Jesus speaking about his betrayal and crucifixion. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, but I'm, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. When we walk through this world and we carry our cross in obedience to him, what confidence can we have that we are not alone? We have the confidence that we have the Holy Spirit. And it's not surprising that John unpacks this in one of his letters. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, listen to what John says. Same, same author of this gospel. Little children, you are from God and, uh, and have overcome them. Speaking of, um, it's, uh, speaking of false truth, false teachers in the preceding passage. Because of this, for he who is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he is who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to, the, to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's why we can be confident that, that while we are left in the world, we are not alone in the world because we have the Holy Spirit. And then there's this interesting statement. As we're left in the world, Jesus says, uh, going down, verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. He makes this distinction. He's praying for his children, those who know him and believe him. And we have this everything that is I have is yours, this kind of intercommunion between the Father and the Son that we're welcomed into. <clears throat> and then he's going to say, um, <clears throat> Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine, verse 10, and I am glorified in them. We spoke a lot about glory last week, how Jesus prays, let, um, uh, let the Son be glorified that he may glorify the Father. And we talked about how to glorify God is, uh, is for us to, uh, to see and to celebrate, for us to delight in the fullness of who God is, his goodness and his beauty, all of his attributes. It's, it's for us to delight in God. And here Jesus is saying that, his followers will glorify him. We have this fellowship with God, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us uh, to, uh, to not only have fellowship with him, but in turn to glorify him. I love one commentator said, what a marvelous incentive to living for Christ this is, that he who has need of nothing yet may be glorified through our obedience and our service. He who has need of nothing and yet would delight in being glorified by us as, as we make much of him in our lives of obedience and of service. We have this fellowship with God and the fullness of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that leads us not only to, to know him and enjoy knowing him, but to glorify him. So we're left in the world, but we're not left alone. But it goes on to say we're left in the world, but we're not left to ourselves. See, in verse 11, as Jesus says, they're left in the world and I'm going to the Father, it prompts him in this moment to, to say, Holy Father, a unique statement. Uh, and only rarely is the Father referenced as Holy Father, though certainly true of who God is and his character of being holy. This is a, a heightened sense that Jesus gives when he says, Holy Father, 
keep them or protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. We see this uh, Jesus praying for our protection. He does this in two ways. Here in verse 11, we see that he prays that we might be kept in the name of the Father, that we might be kept in the name of the Father. Now, to say this, to be kept in the name, some could take it to, to refer to by the power of the Father, that we're kept by his power, which certainly would be true. Uh, I think it's perhaps more accurate to say that we are uh, kept in the sense of um, in fellowship with or in faithful obedience to him, that we are, are kept and strengthened to, to walk faithfully in obedience to him is what Jesus prays. Pray that He's praying that they might be faithful to follow him. He's asking that when he leaves, his disciples would continue to walk in wholehearted allegiance to him. Uh, keep them, he says, in the name of the Father. And the purpose of this, and we're going to dig into this more next, next week as we talk about unity and how our unity displays who Christ is and is essential in our mission. But here he says that the purpose of our faithful allegiance to the Father is that we might be one. <clears throat> In your name that I've given them, I've guarded them. And so the scriptures might be fulfilled and goes on to say that we might be, uh, that they may be as we are one. And so that we would, as we are in right relationship with God, who himself is a trinity and unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one God, we ourselves would also be united. Um, and so we have this allegiance to God, and then we also, um, we have this fellowship with one another uh, that stems out of our allegiance to God. And it reminds us, there's, there's kind of two things that, that we see here, that our unity is grounded in our common confession and allegiance to Jesus. So unity for Christians isn't unity at all cost or unity despite the truth. It's unity in the truth, unity in our confession of, of who God is as the one and only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But also it reminds us that one of the primary means that God intends to strengthen us and protect us and keep us in this world is through his body. It's through the people of God. Other believers encouraging you, praying for you, serving you, pointing you to God and pursuing Christ alongside of you. The gift of the body of Christ is, is in part given that it secures us and protects us and keeps us. We're left in the world, but we're not left to ourselves. God prays for our protection and gives us the blessing of his people. I think sometimes we can be tempted into to having a low view of the church because of the hypocrisy or because of the hurt. And all of those things are real. But even as we deal with them and we bring those things to God and we trust him for, for healing and, and growth in the midst of this, we must understand that Jesus never intends his children to walk in this world alone, but intends them to walk in this world alongside other believers in the body of Christ in a local church. That's God's desire and, and plan for us, that we are kept in his name so that we might be one. And, and being one reminds us that the body of Christ is essential to our pursuit of Christ in this world. But he also, he goes on to say in verses 12 through 13, he speaks of Judas and the son of destruction, which fulfills scripture. Psalm 41, 8 speaks of the betrayal of Jesus. And, and basically he's saying that, that Judas going off isn't a failure of Jesus to keep him, but it's in, uh, in, in fulfillment of the scriptures that these things have taken place. And in many ways, rather than being a knock against Jesus, keeping us demonstrates his sovereignty and supreme power in doing so. But he goes on to say 
in verse 15, to skip down, he prays once more using the same language of protect or keep. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So he's given us uh, this purpose and leaving us in this world, but he doesn't leave us alone. He's praying for protection against the evil one, against Satan himself. The Bible repeatedly demonstrates to us there's a real spiritual battle in the world. There's a spiritual battle of principalities and powers and rulers, and there's a, a real enemy, an accuser named Satan that's been deceiving from the beginning, lying from the beginning, accusing the brethren from the beginning, continually leading astray. And God is faithful to keep and protect his children. Satan is not equal to God, but on our own, we are no match to him. Our family, we've been singing a mighty fortress as our God. I was going to sing it for you, but it gets really low at a certain point, and it's always way lower than I think. But just listen to these words that Martin Luther wrote. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same. He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, he's talking about the evil one, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. I love this statement. One little word shall fail him. One little word, the word of God, shall undo him. We are protected from the evil one. We have this confidence that we belong to God, that we have the security in God, that we're not left alone and that we're not left to ourselves. D.A. Carson in his commentary on the Gospel of John said, the spiritual dimensions of this prayer of Jesus are consistent and overwhelming. And think about this in your own life. By contrast... We spend much more time today praying about our health, our projects, our decision, our finances, our family, and even our games than we do praying about the danger of the evil one. Jesus was so clear-sighted about the danger of the evil one that the Son of God, before he goes to the cross, prays to the Heavenly Father, keep them from the evil one, protect them from the evil one. And what confidence we can have that the one who prays that we would be protected from the evil one is the one who defeated the evil one on the cross. When he goes to the cross, he defeats sin and death and Satan and rises victoriously from the dead so that we with confidence can say that though the prince of darkness be grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. We're not left alone and not left to ourselves, but we're also not left to despair. Go back to verse 13, where it says that I'm coming to you, Jesus says to the Father, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Jesus prays that our joy would be completed in us. This is something he does in John 15, verse 11, he prays this. And elsewhere, he talks about our joy being completed in him, fulfilled in him. And the joy that we are to have is always connected to the, to the word of God, to fellowship with God, to praying. And it's in John 15, it's that we pray our joy is fulfilled here. These words are spoken that our joy is fulfilled. So our joy isn't found in, in our inner thoughts 
or the stuff of this world, our joy is found in the words of Jesus. And joy is, is not just a sense of happiness, but it's a deep delight in who God is, no matter what our circumstances are. It's a deep delight in who God is, no matter what our circumstances are. And unless our joy is grounded in the words of Jesus and the word of God, then our joy can be taken and stolen by our circumstances. And look, by our own fickleness of heart. Like sometimes, sometimes we, we can be bold and confident in God and then the next moment despairing and certain that God isn't ever going to come through for us. I mean, I've had the same, the same experiences in, in the same day. Sometimes I begin my day in, in despair and end my day in great confidence. Sometimes I begin it in great confidence and end it in great despair. But when I realize that it's not in my circumstances, it's not in my own ability uh, to muster up joy, but it's grounded in who God is and what he said, that our joy is a continual trusting in who he is over anything else around us. Melissa Kruger, uh, she has a devotional on joy, and she, reflecting on joy, said this, and I thought it was a, a fitting description. She said, joy begins with salvation and increases as we experience true fellowship, as we understand Christ's lordship, partake in Christ's humility, and obey God's word. As we grow in faith, our desires change. We long to know Jesus. We place our hope in heavenly joys rather than earthly circumstances. We pray with thanksgiving rather than fret with anxiety. That's a challenge. We give generously, furthering the work of the gospel. Just as Paul learned the secret of being content in plenty and in need, she says this, and I love this statement. As we grow in our dependence on God, we bloom into people of joy. As we grow in our dependence on God, we bloom into people of joy. It's in the seedbed of dependence on God that joy springs up in the lives of believers. It's as we come to the word of God and trust in who God is and what he has done and what he says is true of us that we grow in joy. We're not left to despair in this world, though we are left in this world. So Jesus says, one, that we are left in this world, but he's going on to say that we are not of the world. Look at verse 16. He says, they are not of the world. I got my point from Jesus. That's what he said. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And here he, here he makes this, this request. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified. What we're going to see here is as Jesus talks about our not being of the world, our sanctification by the word, it's intermingled with our being sent into the world. So we are to be sanctified by the word and sent into the world. And these two things go together and they, it's like, uh, we'll see it in just a minute. Verse 18 is smashed between uh, the, these two similar statements. Sanctify them by the truth. And then it concludes in verse 19. Sanctify them by the truth. And in the middle, send them into the world. But what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, sanctified means to be made holy. It means to be set apart. Anything that belongs to God is set apart and made holy. And Jesus prays. <clears throat> As Jesus prays for us, he reveals God's calling on us that we are to be holy people. We just uh, are doing in our quick class an uh, overview of the storyline of Scripture. We are talking about Exodus 19, 
In Exodus 19, God said to Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, to redeem them out of Egypt, and was giving them the law, he said that you are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter picks that statement up in 1 Peter and tells us that as the church in Christ, we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation by virtue of faith in Christ. Holiness is, is who we are to be because holiness is who our God is. Just as he is not of the world, we are not to be of the world. And so here we have that holiness is our calling. And throughout the scriptures, salvation, like holiness, um, kind of has a past, present, and future aspect to it. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved, the scriptures say. Well, sanctification is similar. There's a past sense in which when a person puts their trust in Jesus, they are set apart in Christ. We belong to the Father by virtue of faith in Christ. That's a past act. We are set apart. Every person in Christ is a saint. Saints aren't a special class of Christians. Saints are the identity of every Christian. Because when you are in Christ, you are holy. That's what saint means, holy ones. We are in Him, and so we are set apart in Christ. Not by virtue of what we have done, but by virtue of what Christ has done. That's our status, set apart. Now, not only is there a past sense, but there's a present sense, and this is the predominant sense throughout the Scriptures, in which, and often the conversation of Christians, we talk about our sanctification or our holiness in the sense that we are being set apart through our pursuit of Christ. We are to grow in the holiness and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. Second Peter says in verse chapter 3, we, we are continually growing up to become more like Christ, being formed into the image of Christ. And this is our calling, our pursuit as Christians. It's ongoing. This is why holiness isn't a destination for Christians, but is a, a direction for Christians that we're continually pursuing, becoming more and more like Christ, continually putting off sin. Paul says this in Ephesians and in Colossians, we put off sin and we put on righteousness. We put on uh, holiness. And then there's a sense in the future that we will be fully set apart in the presence of Christ. No more sin fully and freely in Christ and free from sin. <clears throat> All my children, uh, particularly uh, my boys, have a very strong resemblance um, to one another. All our kids kind of similarly look alike. And when they're young, a lot of times people say, oh, they look just like, they look just like their dad, a spitting image of their dad. And fortunately, as the girls have grown older, they look more like their mother. Um, but there's this sense in that there's a strong family likeness. I didn't have time. I was going to provide some pictures for your enjoyment, but maybe another time. As children of God, we are to have a strong resemblance to our Holy Father. And it may not be in our eye structure or in our eye color or the shape of our nose but it's in the pattern of our lives that we are marked by holiness. Holiness is our calling. But catch this, Jesus is the standard. We are pursuing holiness in light of who Jesus is. Jesus says he sanctified himself, verse 19, in, in direction of the cross. He lived a holy life, perfect obedience to the Father, set apart for the cross for our salvation. We can't be set apart in the same way as he was because his being set apart was unique as the sinless son of God. He is his being set apart. His work on the cross is the foundation of our present sanctification. 
Let me say that again. His work on the cross uh, is the foundation of our present sanctification. We pursue likeness to him because he first pursued us. And he is the standard that Paul says in Ephesians into which we are to grow up into, into the maturity of Christ. Sometimes as we talk about holiness, we, we like to set the standards. And, and sometimes in reaction to the culture, we say you can't do this, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this because that might give the appearance of this. And there's some wisdom sometimes in some of those things. But be careful that we don't set any standard other than Jesus and his word as the standard of what holiness is. Jesus is the standard both in his example of setting himself apart, but also in the direction of our holiness. We're headed towards Jesus. And we're headed to reflecting him in our character. And in saying that Jesus is the standard, that also means that God's word is the authority. Because it tells us that we are to be sanctified by the truth. And what is the truth? John 17 verse 17 tells us your word is truth. The words that Jesus revealed that are written in the Gospels, that the apostles recorded and gave to the church that are recorded in the Old Testament, old and new together. Here we have the word of truth. And just as we said earlier that holiness must be grounded in God's word, or joy must be grounded in God's word, here holiness must be grounded in God's word. Because the greatest measure of our holiness is obedience to God. It's, it's keeping his commands. To obey God means we submit to the authority of his word. So we're left in the world, but we're not of the world. <clears throat> my iPad has 5%, so before my notes disappear, I've got to finish this last point. We are sent into the world. <clears throat> it's good. I got it. Um, <clears throat> we are sent into the world. As I said, sandwiched in between the two requests of the believer's sanctification to be set apart by the truth we, it says, are sent into the world just as the Father, just as the Father sent the Son into the world. Jesus tells us we're left in the world for a purpose, to be sent into the world. And just as our holiness is defined by Jesus, so our mission is defined by Jesus. Jesus came into the world. What did he come into the world to do? What in the world was he here for? Literally. He was here for our salvation. To secure our salvation through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And we are sent into the world to bear witness to that work. To bear witness to what he did on our behalf. Simply put, our mission in the world is to live like Jesus and to tell others about Jesus. That's what we're left here to do. As simply put, as I can say, that bring together holiness and mission to live like Jesus and to tell others about Jesus. Living no longer for ourselves means that we are to now make our lives wholly available to Christ and his gospel. Bruce Milne, a commentator on John, says to be a disciple is to be a missionary. And Bruce didn't get it on his own. Jesus said to follow me is to be sent into the world. And we're sent into the world to live like him and to tell others about him. This is our mission. It's a mission that's informed by and shaped by holiness. With Christ at the center, God's word is our authority. 
And it's interesting as it doesn't spell out all of what we're sent into the world to do. It'll talk a little bit more about that next week and we'll dig into that some. And ultimately, after Jesus' resurrection, the mission becomes clear that we are given the Holy Spirit and sent with power to make known, to bear witness to his death and resurrection into all the world. Uh, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. That's, that's our calling. That's our mission. But here, it's this, uh, this emphasis on the importance of holiness and mission. And I was thinking about how holiness and mission fit together. Sometimes we, we see these things as separate and we pit them against one another. When we do that, when we have mission without holiness, we have hypocrisy. But on the flip side, when we have holiness without mission, we have religiosity. But when we put holiness and mission together, that's Christianity. That's what Christ has called us to. He's called us to be set apart and be sent into the world, to be sanctified by the word and sent into the world. And honestly, our problem in much of Christendom is that we have a lot of hypocrisy masquerading as Christianity and many times Christians who are content just playing the game of religiosity, going through the motions without living for our Savior. And we wonder why, though we're sent into the world, we often have so little to show for it. Because Jesus said, you're sent into the world, but don't forget, you're to be sanctified by the Word. And if you're down with being sanctified by the Word but you have an aversion to the lost people of the world, then you forgot the mission that we're sent into the world. And it's at this point that I think we should have so much encouragement because sometimes we think about our mission and we become overwhelmed. It's like Paul, when he was at Athens, he looked out at the people and he was burdened and grieved because it was like so many people were, were just lost, like sheep without a shepherd, just gone astray, gone doing whatever they thought was best, doing what was right in their own eyes. And you could get overwhelmed by that. Paul, it says in, in Corinth, when he was there, a big city with lots of lostness, people not following God, people opposed to God, he was overwhelmed and fearful. And God had to say, don't be afraid, Paul. I have many people in this city that I intend for you to tell about me. It's easy to be overwhelmed when we think about our mission. Also, easy to be discouraged in our pursuit of holiness. I don't know if you feel like you're knocking it out of the park in holiness But most folks feel that there's a struggle in our pursuit of holiness. That what we want to do, we don't always do. And what we don't want to do, we end up doing. I think Paul said that in Romans 7. And it's a struggle. And it can be discouraging. But when we're overwhelmed by our mission or discouraged in our holiness, here we have the encouragement that Jesus is praying. Praying that we might be faithful to walking in obedience to him praying that we might persevere in the mission that he's given us to do. It's in in this moment, as we think about our mission and we think about our holiness, that we're reminded that we're not left alone. We're not left to ourselves. We're not left to despair. We have everything that we need in our Savior. Jesus prays that we would be set apart and sent into the world. And here today as believers, we are encouraged by that, but also if I could say it this way, we should not only pattern our prayer life after Jesus's prayer here in seven, John 17, but we also should live our lives in light of what Jesus prays here in John 17. 
and to live our lives according to what he says here in John 17 means that we are sanctified by the word and we're sent into the world. That's our mission. That's our calling. That's Christianity. Let's pray.